Hey, 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 hey. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Not Enough Mike's Podcast with me, Mike Stevenson. Uh, yeah, just uh, recorded this, as, uh, when was it? I guess a few days ago now with Ross Rebliati. A uh, good friend of mine, Ian Hartman, shout out Hartman, what's up buddy, uh, set this up for me with, uh, with Ross, and we had a great chat, we chatted for about an hour and a half, so I'm going to cut this into two parts, uh, so they're going to be about 45 minutes each, cut it into two parts, and I guess there's not much really else to get into besides that, and, but if you want to really go into my IG, uh, say hello, say what's up, if you want to rank this podcast or vote, whatever you got to do, like it, follow it, whatever you got to do. Um, that's always good too, but if not, just enjoy the episode. So without further ado, mine and Ross's conversation, part one. Enjoy. Peace. So I have a businessman, a snowboarding pioneer, author, rocker of the sweet roots backwards hats. The year was 1998. The Broncos, Yankees, Blues, and Wings all won their respective titles, but none was bigger than this man's gold medal, Ross. How you doing, man? Ross Rebliati, how are you? Hey, Mike. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How, how are you keeping? I'm very well. I'm very well. I, we were just speaking there uh, shortly there, and it just uh, we we're talking about how you're how you and the family are are doing so far in this crazy time we're living in. Yeah, we're uh, doing good. Um, you know, we're all healthy, which is the number one thing. Uh, I took. Uh, I left work couple of weeks ago before um you know the media started talking about it or the prime minister so um i just wanted to you know err on the side of caution and uh so i've been home now for almost two weeks just making sure that uh you know i'm not part of the problem and um yeah but we're all doing good and keeping yeah. busy i built a couple of did a couple of renos in my house and sweet that worked out pretty good and dirt I built a dirt jump track yesterday. I was just finishing it off this morning. And uh it's a little hairball, like there's a couple the first jump big. <laughs> <laughs> right on, yeah. Were your kid were your so, kid your kids going on it as well or is it just like how big how big is the track? Uh well the first yeah, it's not like those the giant dirt jumps, but it's uh I would say probably three feet high. Like it goes down into the ground and then comes up oh, nice. uh, a foot and a half out of the ground. So altogether, it's about three feet. And then a short little table that pretty much goes straight up and then comes straight down into a transition into another drop and then a big berm corner. Beautiful. So that's uh, a work in progress. Nice to, <laughs> nice, to, nice to have a little bit more uh, time on your hands now, eh? just to make some tracks. <laughs> yeah, like when was the last time I had time or thought I had time to, to do that? Yeah, so we've been taking advantage of uh, the situation a little bit and having a little bit more relaxed uh, atmosphere. Less, uh, It's kind of nice when you don't have a guilty conscience for staying home. You can kind of you know, appreciate that downtime a little bit more than when you think you should be doing something. It's true, right? I've battled that as well. It's just like, I'm just sitting here. I was like, I, I, I continuously feel guilty, but then I'm just like, nah, it's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> so I guess, yeah. I, I guess just maintain it. I haven't built a track yet, but uh, I'd like to, I'd like to visit when this is all over and take a rip at it. 
Yeah, I wonder how how many tracks are going to get built and and how many people are going to grow their hair out. Yeah, true enough. My beard is flowing right now. So you're in uh, you're in, <laughs> you're in Kelowna, right? You're in Kelowna now. Yeah, Kelowna, BC. Been here for a few years, and uh, yeah, it's great. So uh, you know, we're near ski resorts and the lake, and and so uh, yeah, good time. Kelowna, Fornia. I absolutely love it there. Now you, so recently we just, because everybody's isolated now, a lot of sports have been canceled. And with that, the Olympics have been canceled. So you were in the Olympics, what almost, what is it? 20, 22 years ago, uh, yeah. 1998 in Nagano. Now, do you keep in touch with any of the athletes or any of the athletes going? I know it's obviously summer Olympics, but do you keep in touch with any of the old, uh, old athletes or people you met along the way? Yeah, we were at similar events and, and things like that after after Nagano, but my trajectory was slightly different than the other athletes, um, you know, after Nagano as far as um, what kind of attention I was getting and, and that sort of thing. So well, what happened? I ended up what kind happened? of... <laughs> oh, well, I guess I just got a lot of attention, you know, like from media and um, after a while I basically decided to you know get back to normal (laughs) and not be so much uh you know in the camera or on camera or on tv or on the radio it seemed like for a while every time I turned the tv on or the radio they were talking about me so it was uh you know it was kind of a weird situation to, to find yourself in and uh but you know I had it good points for sure but yeah I definitely it's not like I it was just a different you know world and you know for me afterwards and so basically I had a hard time keeping in touch with people and it was just a whirlwind kind of for about 10 years and then um you know I started Ross Gold uh in the cannabis side of things um going on eight years ago as far as this branding and, and getting the brand awareness and brand traction that we were looking for and um finally now we're looking at a legal model for Ross Gold and and um you know so that was a a bit of a whirlwind too over the last number of years doing that and being part of um you know helping everything get uh get legalized so yeah I've been on a different a different trajectory and, (laughs) and not so much uh hanging out or talking to too many people from the past. No, I got you. So for those of you who perhaps were living under a rock, the 1998 Olympics, Ross was the first ever uh, gold medal winner on the first day of the Olympics in Nagato. And uh, soon, of course, um, everything else ensued, the loss of the medal due to uh, being taken away for something that wasn't even banned at the time, marijuana, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That was classic. So... (laughs) Yeah, I, I did get, they gave it back to me a couple of days later. And um, once they realized, like you say, it wasn't on the list of banned substances, but um, big surprise. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was what it was. Yeah. No, looking, now looking back at that, like, and you know what, when I'm, you know, when we chose to have this conversation, I know you've been asked these questions a million times. So I don't want to ask these standard questions because it, it just, it is what it is. But, you know, looking back at that and it almost looks like, you know, knowing that me and you were going to have this conversation, it's almost like there's some conspiracy theories and there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there all the time, but you had tested for the you tested positive for marijuana before, but 
they didn't even tell you that, right? Leading up to the events. And then all of a sudden they were had a, um, fearful perhaps is the word for having snowboarding in the Olympic games and they wanted it out. So weren't you kind of just the guy that, that was picked and almost just won and was accused of that? It's crazy, right? I mean, it is, I mean, you have to, if you put it all together, it is plausible. I th- I would say that, you know, it is plausible. It, it's a long shot, but, um, you know, it's tough to say really, but yeah, you could add it up that way. Um, for sure. I, I, uh, I've given it some thought and, you know, it's been 22 years. I don't, <laughs> I think about it every day. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, what was interesting was that on the world cup tour, um, they were testing for cannabis. And so, um, you know, and that wasn't the world cup tour that we were brought up on. I was already on before the world cup tour that, brought us to Nagano there was the original snowboard federation world cup tour that didn't get picked by the Olympic federation they picked the ski federation to pick snowboarding and so they changed they added a new world cup that I had to switch over to okay um the original one didn't have any kind of drug testing whatsoever it was more of a you know skate contest but it was serious like there was full-on it was just like the Olympics but just no drug testing right um and then all of a sudden we had drug testing on the new world cup tour. And so we were already not smoking weed during, um, the world cup tour leading up to Nagano for, for me, it was about two years that I was on that tour to get my points that I needed. Um, cause we knew in 94 that we were going to go. Right. And so some people switched over right away to the new tour because all of a sudden the top 20 guys aren't on that tour anymore. Yeah. True enough. eh? Right. So for the first couple of years, there was a new world champion and all these guys were winning races and the the new tour was offering all expenses paid, you know, to get you to come over because there was political pushback because we got snowboarding to the point where we could be accepted to the Olympics, but then they didn't pick our federation to control snowboarding. They chose the ski federation for some reason. And, but I guess the, jumping and cross country skiing are all under the FIS, but you know, snowboarding is not skiing. So anyway, um, that's what happened. And we were already not using weed um, for those couple of years leading up to Nagano. Um, We would have, we would use, you know, smoke weed in the, in the summer, kind of in between the seasons. Um, But not until the year before Nagano was, the drug testing implemented uh, on the new tour. So basically what I did was in April or spring of 97 was kind of the lead up to the Olympics and the season had just ended. I smoked a couple of joints before uh, April yeah. kind of at the end of the season. And then I said, okay, April, uh, you know, I threw down the gauntlet and that was going to be the last. <laughs> That's the beginning of me not smoking weed until after the Olympics. Right. Yeah. And, um, but from April all the way through the summer and the fall, you know, if I wasn't away training, I was at home in Whistler training and, you know, hanging out with my buddies after when they would get back from work. And, you know, I was hundred percent, you know, training. I wasn't, I didn't have a different job. So a lot of times, like I was basically, you know, waiting for buddies to get off work and then go hang out 
and um, have a few beers and and cook dinner, and that was pretty much what we do every day in Whistler. And um, Whistler's good. yeah, I was I around Whistler. the yeah right, and and so I was around the weed, but I wasn't smoking the weed, but obviously, um, you know, it got in my system that yeah. way, and yeah. so yeah, they, I did three drug tests before Nagano that um, didn't nothing came back um you know before i left obviously i went there and thought everything was good and did my race and and then after the whole controversy sort of started um then they released the results of the three tests that i did that tested positive for weed and um so that's where you kind of wonder like was it a setup yeah. you know like i was dragged in the top you know, in the world leading into the, um, you know, but maybe the maybe they didn't know that because they were looking at their tour, which, you know, I, I didn't have like the most amount of points in the world on their tour, but I was ranked in the top three on the original Snowboard Federation. Right. Um, you yeah. know, when, anyways, it boils down to, you know, <laughs> they're being like, why did, how did I even get there? Yeah. It, it does seem and, it does seem quite strange that they that they did that and then all of a sudden oh yeah. out of nowhere that that happened. So you had a yeah. And, Sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. There. Well, the, the the thing was that on the like I was saying on the World Cup tour they had the testing, and then and at the IOC list event at the Olympics was slightly different where it didn't include cannabis, and so we went into Nagano thinking cannabis was on the list of banned substances which is why I stopped smoking in the spring of 97. And as it turned out, it wasn't on the list of banned substances. Yeah, so you could have so been we could have been blazing fake fatties the whole summer. <laughs> I, know, I know. Would have just solved everything, wouldn't it? You'd just be like, hey, no, we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, it would have been way less stressful. And, you know, there's lots of <laughs> anxiety leading up to the games, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah, no. But... And the first day, the first day of the Olympics too, right? That was when you, uh, when you got your goal. So leading up, so leading up to that, so what you, you went pro in 91, correct? Is that correct? And then you won the Canadian amateur in 91, the U S Euro open in 94 giant slalom in Italy in 96. And then in Whistler, you won the giant slalom 96, 97. Yeah, I won the U.S. Open also before that, and okay. I think it was 90, 94 and the European Championships in '93, and um, or '94 also that year. Right. And then I think between '94 and '96, I climbed up to the, you know, in the top three, I was ranked one for a while, and uh, you know, it was pretty much on the top of my game when we learned about the Olympics. And I blew my ACL out kind of in between finding out about the Olympics and competing at the Olympics. So oh, okay. Nagano oh, okay. was my first victory back from my knee surgery. Oh, was that the first race? Well, it wasn't my first race. It was my first, first victory. Win. Sorry. Okay. So right away. Yeah. So, so in 90, so in 94, did you like, once I was announced, you were just like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah. I knew yeah. for sure because there were only so many guys competing from Canada at the time at that level. Yeah. And, you know, I was ranked top three in the whole world. Right. And and so there was Mark Fawcett that he, he would have been ranked up there with me on the World Cup Tour, but he didn't focus on the World Cup Tour the way I did. He was more on the U.S. Pro Tour. Yeah. 
And then he would come over to some of the bigger European races with everyone that his team picked to go to, but they were focusing on the U.S. Pro Tour. So I, I just had more points. I was ranked higher on that tour. And, um, you know, I basically knew, you know, that, you know, I, I would be on the team. Right. At least. And, um, you know, I've been winning races against those guys already. So, um, so you knew you were sitting pretty good in, in any type of competition. There's only so many that are in, on any World Cup tour that are in win position. Right. And, uh, you know, you probably the top 15 or 20 guys. There might be some guy in the top 20. Wild card has a great day and someone else has a bad day. But um, generally, you know, there's probably only between five to 10 guys that, that you would pick. Who you know could so. maybe make the podium, right? Yeah, well, like one year I got like sixth place eight times. <laughs> and, you know, like I was always in the top 10 in all my races. And, you know, some people have struggled to make the top 20 in their whole whole career. So, um, you know, I, I was lucky to be in the slot. And, and I had ski racing under my belt before I started snowboard racing, which gave me that edge. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, I did a lot of training too. That's like... <laughs> No, I, I'd, I'd imagine because you, you, you grew up in, uh, so you were doing all your riding in, in Whistler, correct? So at the time, and that's basically where you, where you hung up and, and, and lived. Is that correct? Yeah, I did um, live there. I didn't hardly train there at all. I mean, when I was home, um, like before World Cup tour, there was, um, you know, no training. Like I didn't have a coach or, or anything. I was just free riding on Whistler and homing my, my free ride skills. And when the races came along, I would just throw my race board on, but then, you know, now I would do that and win races, uh, you know, at an amateur, as an amateur. But then when I did up a notch in, in 91 and got on World Cup tour, then I got on a pro team and had a, a coach. Like we had a few coaches. We had, two coaches, um, physiotherapists, you know, and this was, this wasn't Canadian national team. This was a pro team on a, on the world cup pro tour. So we paid, we paid for that. Our sponsors, you know, that's what we, our sponsors were for. And, you know, we probably spent 10 to 15,000 a year on, on the, just being on the team. And then another 10 grand a year on airplane tickets and another, whatever, five on rental cars, another five or more on, hotels and that's before you even make any money and not a lot of guys are winning and making money right there's only a handful of guys that actually you know so it's For you sure. know you could spend five grand on one race and then you know so there's a big risk there but um yeah and the landscape yeah that was kind of the way it was. and the landscape was a little bit different back then as well wasn't it like uh with the funding as yeah. far as the national team compared to now you know we could still make some improvements but it seems like uh what was the, I believe it was at 2010 chase the podium or something was the, the mantra, uh, where they put a ton, yeah. or they put a ton of money back into, back into the Olympics and Olympic athletes. So, f- yeah. So for those who, who may not have ever been to Whistler, I've been to Whistler quite a few times. <laughs> what was Whistler like, like back, I want to get to your, I want to get to your race, of course, eventually here, but what, <laughs> what's, what was Whistler like in the eighties and nineties, as far as like the ski culture? Because snowboarding was never looked that highly upon for a long time, even before snowboarding was loud on the hills. 
and you were one of the pioneers to br- kind of bring bring that to the forefront. So, what was it like back then when you're originally riding and skiing? Lots of fresh tracks. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine because I lived in Banff. And, yeah. I lived in Banff and Lake Louise for uh, for ten years. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the ski culture, of course, anything like you. Uh, but I certainly experienced it and uh, had some great memories. I still have some great memories and just some of the ski bums and beauties that are there. It's just, it, it's, it's like a little family, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's, I mean, we did a lot of dinners, like I was saying, and that, that's kind of what you do. Um, you know, you, you hang out with your person and um, you do stuff together. There's not a lot of doing stuff alone. Um, you know, like it's ironically, like in, when you live in a big city, you find yourself more alone than when you live in these smaller, smaller towns. And Whistler's no exception. I mean, it has changed a lot, but back in those, um, yeah, you know, there was more people that you could get to know at a store. You know, at a ski yeah. shop, you get to know the guy who works there. Where now there's like four months turnover, and then there's a new employee from out of the country, right? So yeah. um, that that different. But, um, you know, and then, you know, the whole affordability to live there. Like I, I bought a house in Whistler when I was 19 for 200 grand. Wow. And, you know, that was 1990. Um, the same place now is probably worth more than 10 times that. And, um, so just to be, a lot of people moved out of, out of Whistler, um, that were part of that, that scene, you know, kind of in the, the mid or early nineties. Um, and found themselves in places like in the interior of BC, like Roslyn and Nelson and right. um, in the Kootenays. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, you could, I remember days where during the week you could ride fresh tracks under the chairlift the whole entire week. And then um, weekend would come and then the trees were untouched and you would just ride the trees and all the, you know, the, the weekenders would come up nowadays it's jam packed mondays or friday <laughs> you know it, it, saturday and sunday especially yeah oh, i know i remember just you know and at lake louise as well like uh i would always be working of course at that time but christmas time was i would never even want to go out and just be an hour long lineup but then we know on the slower yeah. days just to get out there and uh always you know getting the fresh tracks first chair but always having uh, probably about 10 people staying in your little apartment sometimes too because there'd just be yeah. people sprawled everywhere, parties till all hours of the night and uh, and getting uh, sometimes getting to the lift with no sleep at all. That's it. <laughs> no, it was, it was very much, you know, a party. And um, it was an introduction to a new way of life, like, mm-hmm. you know, up until that point, I'd been living at home until I was around 18 or 19 and, you know, met these guys that, you know, normal for them to wake up and smoke joints and, and um, have coffees before they even do anything. And I was just like, really? I can't even imagine. I mean, this guy's an ultra endurance athlete that, you know, and then, it, you know, I'd be hanging out with these guys and I'd be busting out joints on the chairlift and next thing you know, we're hiking in the backcountry and the first thing they want to do is roll one up and before they get going and it just kind of introduced me to a new like way of using cannabis and, right. and this whole new lifestyle too out in the mountains and whistler and, and that whole you know not conforming to what you know their 
what the messaging was on TV back in those days in the 80s. This was your brain on drugs and big cannabis lease, you know, in front of the frying pan and the bacon, right? And, you know, it was just conflicting messages with, you know, people like Bob Marley and Snoop Dogg and, you know, Peter Tosh and everybody talking about legalizing cannabis. And, and then the government got this other message and it's not jiving. And so as a teenager at the time, you know, when I was in my late teens and, you know, meeting these, these people, it was kind of like, yeah, we're being lied to. And, you know, cannabis is actually healthy and good for me. And look at these other guys that are, you know, pro mountain bike racers and, you know, kick my ass on the bike. And they smoke weed and none of them are really partying or drinking very much. You know, there's the odd exception of an ultra amazing athlete that was just a maniac partier, you know, and show up hungover and, and win races. I mean, there's always a bad guy, but you know, for the most part, it was pretty clean living, like not a lot of drinking, mostly just smoking weed, you know, sometimes some psychedelics here and there, Yeah. but um, nothing really like that wasn't repeatable or sustainable or conducive to like being the best you can be. And that was kind of our underlying thing was, you know, to always, you know, be operating at our optimal levels and to do things that were conducive to that. So that, you know, it was fun to realize that cannabis could be part of it because I already enjoyed it so much. But in those days, there was no internet, no information. It was weed, you know, it was, you know, what kind of weed is that? Who, who knows? It comes in a Ziploc bag and it gets you baked. That was all, right. that was all you knew. About VC it. Bud. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was a good choice, you know, a healthier choice than, than what some of the other nightlife drinking oh. scenes, the drinking lifestyle sort of thing wasn't, um, didn't, didn't, I didn't get, you know, like I worked at some, like Sushi Village, for example, I worked at. That's right. Didn't you meet Prime Minister Trudeau there <laughs> when you were there? Yeah, I met um, the original Trudeau, yeah. Trudeau Senior. Yeah. And for all I know, I think Justin was actually in Whistler during the time when I was in Nagano okay. as a as a sport instructor. But this was probably ten, almost ten years, eight years before that. So I was working at Sushi Village and met. Um, I don't think he was Prime Minister at the time, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. I spoke with him actually, and he asked me what what I did. And I told him I was a pro snowboarder, and like at the time, no one even reported. But he was like, "Oh, right on." <laughs> and look where it is now. He had no he had no idea that you'd go on to win the uh, gold medal for Canada just a few years later. Right now, going no, back, that's... yeah, like going back to this like ski and weed and snowboarding because almost like weed and snowboarding almost go hand in hand. And there's and I hate it. Because there's this stigma attached to weed, and there still is. Like, we look online right now, and we see, like, Wine Wednesday and, like, Mimosa Mondays. And it's almost like alcohol is so glamorized, you know? There's nothing, but then there's nothing yeah. wrong, wrong with it. But then we see people smoking weed, and people are going, ah, you know, put the X up. Oh, my goodness. And it's not looked yeah. at. And I know, of course, it's still fairly, quote-unquote, new for the mainstream. But weed has been around for a long time. And no one's really... It's not <laughs> causing, forever. <laughs> yeah, it's right. And it's not causing too many problems. Obviously, it needs to be uh, used responsibly. But overall, it's a, it's a really... There's so many benefits. And you know, you've forgotten more than I know about that. But uh, I, so it's really helped you in your career, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean... 
it it helps you a lot in millions of different ways. I yeah. mean, there's like the big ways that it can help you, like as an anti-inflammatory, you know, just a blanket, you know, it's a, that's what it does. But I mean, there's, there's more than that, you know, with, with cannabis as a lifestyle. Yeah. And um, there's a whole, you know, like if you're, just for example, like let's take something that's mundane that you have to repeat on a regular basis, you know, like something like easy task, like, I don't know, going to the gym or um, cleaning your house or mowing your backyard or doing whatever things that you don't really feel like doing, you know, and having a little bong hit or roll up a joint and, and do those things is all of a sudden fun. Agreed. You're baked. What else are you going to do now? <laughs> it's it's right? true. It's true. It's like, you know, you're going outside, you cut the lawn and you have a beer. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. And so having, you know, smoking weed, is just like a healthier choice. There's zero calories. You don't intoxicate yourself. Like you don't impair your mind or your thought process. Um, you're still operating an optimal level. If you still have to, you know, go out and pick up kids from a, a play date or, you know, back in the pre-COVID days, you know, you might have to go run out in, in your car and later in the, in the day and you're not fucking drunk. No, I, I, I don't have kids, but if I had to, if I had to gun gun to my head, make a choice between my child either smoking weed or drinking booze, it's weed ten out of ten times, easily. Right. I mean, it, I mean, there's always gonna like I I I stopped drinking about like hundred percent stopped drinking uh, just over a year ago. Good for you. And it uh, it just opened up so many more doors for me. Like, you know, I used to before I started really drinking like everybody else, like the box commercials on TV and stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I would get on my road bike at like seven, eight o'clock at night in the summertime. Yeah. And then kind of more and more as I got older, it was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to pop a beer at four or five or, or three or have one at lunch or, you know, do that. And then all of a sudden you're not jumping on your bike anymore at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah, it's very. You know, true. you're not doing anything like that after after you pop a beer, um, and so that's just day after day in day out, right? And so I I started getting in like, serious about my shape uh, a little while ago, and I'm a big road biker, and um, you know I've ridden with some pro pro guys and and stuff like that, and I've always kind of tried to keep with my fitness over the years, although having kids was kind of a you know a slow down there, so I've been yeah. picking it up and. Um, I noticed when I stopped drinking mainly because of that so that I could work out more often and open up more time. Because as a dad, right, I only have so many minutes of day where I could sneak away and do a workout. And if I'm having beers at, you know, in the afternoon, then that writes off like a whole op- a bunch of opportunities where I could work out. Yep, and um, so I, I noticed that. And um, anyways, I got on the keto diet. I stopped drinking. I lost 30 pounds in the last 12 months. Whoa, um, 30 pounds. Ready good, to, oh, good for you, you man. Know. Yeah. Good for I'm you. Great. And, um, you know, I smoke cannabis pretty much all day long. Like, you know, this morning I had two coffees and two joints before my wife even woke up. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, how I get my day going. And then, you know, I just kind of keep it and even keel throughout the day. It all depends what I'm doing. Like I build houses for a living. I, I'm off work now, but you know, we're not blazing during the day while we're working. Um, there's, we, we don't stop basically. We don't leave the site 
um, you know, and there's the smokers, smoker cigarettes and stuff at work and, you know, but that's what's nice about weed is that you might wish you could smoke a joint, but it's not like you're fucking have to smoke a joint like the cigarette smokers do, you know, like they could not go the whole day, like 10 hours at work without smoking a cigarette. That's very true. That's very true. Like a real smoker. Yeah. You wouldn't want right? them to either. And, They'd be unbearable. And, <laughs> no. Right. And so, and that's what's nice about weed too, is that it's flexible that way. Like you can, if you're a heavy weed smoker, like you still can go to work. And if you're, if you can't smoke weed at work because of a zillion reasons that there, there could be, there's some wicked jobs where you can't smoke weed, like growing weed. Mm-hmm. That's a great job. <laughs> but, um, for the most part, you know, and, and so that's why we nice because it, it, it doesn't take your life over, you know, and you could argue that some people are, Oh, maybe they smoke too much weed and they sit around and do something. I guarantee you there's underlying reasons, you know, why they're at home and, and depressed and, or whatever the problem is, but it's not the weed, you know? I, I so. agree with that. And the, and the beauty of, yeah, just like anything, you got to use it responsibly. And I think what the great part about weed becoming now more way, way more on the forefront is that now we know what we're getting, you know? So for a person that doesn't really smoke, if you want to smoke, you want to have a pipe or vaporizer, if you want edibles, you can now go in somewhere and be like, this is what I want to do. I don't want to feel sketchy. I, you know, I still want to be able to go grab some groceries or go on a hike. And there's different variations of what you can get rather than not knowing. And it's like a comparative to like a shot of tequila versus a Bud Light. You know, it's nice. It's yeah. nice. It's nice now knowing the, uh, the different levels. I don't smoke too much, but I smoke. I like. I enjoy smoking. But now I like to know what I'm getting because sometimes some weed that I get is way too strong. And I just I'm sketchy for like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about, you know, knowing what you're, what you've got, right. And what the percentage of THC is on it and also dosing yourself accordingly. So if you do have a one that's a heavy, a heavy hitter, you know, just have one Coke instead of two or, or, you know, I think I see like a lot of times new smokers just, take like a haul off a joint that I wouldn't even take a haul that big and, and, but they just don't even know. No, no, you they don't. don't have a clue. It's like, it's like a 14 year old slugging back a half a Mickey of vodka and one chug. It's like, you don't even know what you're doing right now. It's true. And then everybody just who's in the circle usually looks around and goes, you know exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be a puddle. Yeah. Everyone's, going, everyone's like, Oh, <laughs> they're toast. Right? They're toast. Yeah. 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 So you must have, uh, like now, you know, fair or unfair, you're, you're the, you're the weed guy in Canada. You're fa- you're famous for, you're famous snowboarder. You've won the, I, oh, it's I, fair. I, I'm, I'm happy to be the weed okay, guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think it's fucking awesome. So you must have smoked some weed with, <laughs> I do. I think it's fucking great. I, you know, I was talking to my buddy about, uh, having this uh, conversation with you and he's like, yeah, he's my fucking hero. He's the reason when we moved out to Lake Louise, like when we're snowboarding, it's just like, this is fucking awesome. Cause it's kind of like. You know, it's like snowboarders were always looked poorly upon. Weed is always looked poorly upon. And it almost like opened a door for uh, so many people to be able to enjoy it. And uh, it's quote unquote, this kind of bad boy thing that goes along with it. But there's nothing wrong with it. And it kind of, and I think it opened the door not only for like guys like myself when I was younger going out on the hill, but so many more people that uh, opened the door for them to start snowboarding. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not only nothing wrong with it, it's actually like a healthier choice than anything else out there on the market. Like, big time. 
Um, as far as the recreational substance is concerned, not to mention the medicinal, people aren't using, um, you know, cigarettes for any sort of medicinal benefit as well as a recreational product. I mean, that's the, the awesome part about cannabis is that you can use it recreationally as an option, you know, or an alternative, um, or just as your first choice um, at the end of the day or what, whenever and for whatever reason you pick or choose and you know that's the beauty of it I mean you can use cannabis for so many different things and and including mental wellness I mean I think at the end of the day when you're having that beer or that joint I mean that's really about taking care of yourself and and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to help you you know unwind at the end of the day in a nice responsible way that you know you can wake up in the morning and um go to work or go train or deal with your kids, take them to school, you know, and, um, you know, if you can, if there's a healthy way to do that and a natural way that's not addictive, um, you know, and that's cannabis, you know, that's, that's my choice. And, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've been in lots of situations where I've had to stop smoking for drug testing or because I was on a trip or because I'm at work every day or whatever. And, um, just knowing that I'm not going to have that physical craving, you know, that you would get with other substances like cigarettes, for example, you get a physical craving for it. Um, I'm glad that cannabis doesn't take over, you know, my life that way. And I can choose when, you know, the time is right for me to use cannabis and not have it dictated to me by the substance. Right. Unless you're smoking a joint with Keith Richards. (laughs) Right. And then in that case, bring it on. I, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was a good day. We, uh, we were backstage in Colorado at the, at the, uh, Denver Steel Wheels concert, I guess it was probably, okay. I don't know when it was, but, uh, yeah, we were, I was there with the Roots okay. guys and, um, they're friends with the Stones from way back and, we were um, hanging out together with with them before the concert started, and it was cool. I was in the front row, kind of. Keith was doing his thing, and I'm like, "Yeah, he's baked, and I'm we both smoke the same joint, and I'm baked, and he's baked, and <laughs> he's up there playing his guitar, and I'm watching him do it." And it was like, we're in the stadium. It was pretty. It was pretty funny knowing that five or 10 minutes before that we were burning one together. Oh, so. for sure. Yeah. That guy's an absolute legend. He'll survive. Yeah. He'll survive anything. That guy is just, <laughs> that guy just energizer bunny. But he survived everything <laughs> for a hundred years or seems like. Yeah. Really? How old is he? 150 now? Like he is just, he'll go on, he'll go on <laughs> he, forever. It seems. He's looking that he's looking like he's been around. He's looking at, yeah. I think he's, uh, he's got a lot of stories. That's for sure. I like the way, you know, he's not getting the plastic surgery or whatever. And he's just, that's how he is, right? It's true. There's a lot to, a lot to be said about that, especially with so many artists. You look at uh, Motley Crue now. Jeez, Motley Crue, like Vince Neil, he looks rough, rough. <laughs> but fake, really but, is, but, yeah. But fake rough. So fast forward now. Um, so Nagano, so you're there. First day of the Olympics, your first run, what you, you were, what, in eighth place and then your second run is where you just went balls to the wall. And I think you're quoted as saying, I was completely out of control <laughs> going down that second run. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, yeah. But you had the, the, um, 
Sorry? You had a little advantage, though, right, due to the Whistler cloudiness so, uh, that rolled in there on Nagano that day? It did. Yeah, the first run was Bluebird, sunny morning. Um, the snow was icy, though. Like, it set up the night before. They weren't sure what the temperatures were going to be like, so they treated the snow with chemicals so it would freeze no matter what. And so the stars came out, and then, you know, the next morning, it was not only chemically treated, but it froze actually. Oh, okay. So it was a fucking sheet of ice and um I ended up getting eight, like you say, on and I was a tenth of a second out. And that was <laughs> a pretty big margin. But uh yeah, second run the clouds came in and there was a couple of course delays and yeah, it was foggy. So you know, luckily for me I grew up, you know, skiing and snowboarding on the west coast and Whistler and you know, Grouse Mountain. I used to ski race for the Grouse Mountain Thai Ski Club right. in Vancouver. I mean, that was, we always were skiing in, in the fog. So, um, Gross grind. you know, I guess I had, you know, a couple of turns go my way and, you know, the, the fog maybe didn't bother me as much as, you know, some of the other guys perhaps. But, uh, um, I pretty much went balls out on the, on the second one. Uh, no old fart. I, literally you know made an intention that i wasn't going to take any um you know i was going to take the tightest line i quit starting off on the flat part and i was going to try to carry that speed through the, the on the steep part and and hopefully just make it to the finish line and i i kind of knew that if i could get to the finish line that i had a chance to win and right. you know the tenth back uh, and i had that feeling and i was riding well so um, yeah, I went into it feeling good, but, um, yeah, you didn't take me yeah, too many turns. You, you didn't take too many turns at the top, did you? I got a beeline. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, the first probably three or four, five gates were, were flat on the flat part. And, um, I pretty much went straight for each, each one. And you can sort of tell if you see the video about the, like, fourth or fifth one I really had to jam that one corner and then it was just jam corners all the way down the seat part because yeah. I was going I was going pretty much too fast for the course and you know it was survival run of my life pretty much and uh yeah didn't you um, were you four and a half seconds faster the the second run too in my first run I don't know how what the time difference was I think I I don't think it was that much. I think it looked, my first run was like um, a minute and one second and my second run or, or two seconds. And my other one was, you know, only a tenth faster or so. I'm not, it was a different course. But the times were pretty close. Combined time, it was like, two oh three. you know, two minutes. Yeah, I go online and, and actually look. Maybe I'll post that. <laughs> I saw. Yeah, I was. I was looking. It was two. Yeah, two. Two oh three. And then I love watching that second round because I remember watching that live and going, "Holy shit!" And like you know, not knowing anything like the rest of Canada really at, at the time. We didn't know a lot about uh, yeah. snowboarding, right? And uh, I'd been skiing. And a few the, the Sorry, you're you're, you're you're cutting out just a little bit. Oh, yeah. How was that? Uh, yeah, that's a little bit better. Sorry. Yeah, so the 
they they reset the course on the second run, so that that's probably a a reason for the the big time discrepancy on the first to second run. Oh, okay, okay. So you get down there. So you knew you won when you got to the bottom, correct? Or were you the last? No, you weren't the last one. You were you were in first place after you finished that race, though. So after the first run, I was eighth, and so yes. I started eighth, and there was then more eight more guys from the top seed come down so when i came down i was first out of those eight guys um you know i was what they do is they reverse the top 16 so because i finished eighth i started eight and um that was good for me i like starting around there anyway that's my preferred start um time and uh yeah i knew i won out of those guys and then I had to wait for the eight guys that That's beat right. me on the first run to come down and then finally uh JCJ amazingly the fastest guy on the first run and so we had to wait I had to wait for the last guy which was JC um you know he had some you know some troubles and everybody had their their own story you know and how that run went for them and you know I still only squeaked out couple hundredths of a second so it ended up being a lot of you know one of the most important races in, in snowboard history if not the well i think i gotta say one of them but um you know it was a tight race also oh yeah that must have been absolutely nerve-wracking <laughs> you're going down there and having to wait for that what was that feeling like man yeah it, that, it was nerve-wracking and um my dad was in the crowd right there and I was hanging with him watching, you know, the sport where the guys went down. And, um, you know, I remember when Thomas Pruger came down, he was, he ended up in second place. He was so close that only the um, hundredth of a second number changed. And so all the numbers didn't change except for that very, and I couldn't tell like the time difference except for that my name didn't move from the, the top of the. Uh, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't want your name budging at all, right? No, no, and and then um, then it was, you know, when we JC came down and I I saw you know everyone saw he he had a couple of difficult things and so right there, you know, I, we I knew that you know I probably had it because I I had one of those runs, you know, if anyone mistake they just weren't going to be able to match it. Yeah, so. It's yeah. You're, yeah. it's a little bit uh, crackly still. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know if it's uh, the connection. Maybe, I don't think it's mine, but I'm not. 100%. Oh, really? Yeah, a little bit. Sorry, man. I don't know what's uh, it, what's happened. Is it uh, just sounds like it, we're in one of us in a ba- little bit of a bad spot? How's that? Is it getting any better? Yeah, that's a little bit better. Yeah. Is that cool? I got cool. you. Gotcha. <laughs> sorry, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're waiting down there with your with your dad. Uh, and then your name doesn't, then your name doesn't move. And then all of a sudden last guy and you're like, boom, I'm, I won the fucking gold medal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally crazy. Yeah. Um, there's no real sort of like, it's, it's kind of like shock and shock and awe. And that sort of takes time for it to settle in. Like, you know, it's one of those events that, you know, people are watching and, and, um, you know, you kind of grow up as an athlete or an aspiring athlete, you know, watching the Olympics and, and um, you know, the whole being the first time snowboarding was going to be there and, 
that, you know, wasn't lost on us either. So, you know, super proud moment to, you know, to be part of a, a sport like that and to represent Canada and, and to take home, you know, the first gold for a sport like snowboarding, I think, uh, wasn't lost on Canadians either. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a big change also. And, and all of a sudden snowboarding kind of exploded after that. And, um, you know, it just became this new sort of national pastime. That was part one with Ross Rebliati. Some great stories and a lot more to come on part two, which will be coming out a little later on this week. Okay, talk to you soon.